So I've been back from Nepal now, Nepal, not Nepal, Nepal, uh, for three weeks. And I'm reflecting back at the time, the things that God taught me about himself uh, and about his church as well. Now, I could share all these stories. I shared a few at night church about three weeks ago. I'm going to share more on Christmas Eve. But one thing I want to share with you this morning is just one thing I noticed about the Nepali people, and they are extremely hospitable people. Who's been to Nepal before? Yep, and would you have noticed that they're really hospitable? They're almost too hospitable. And you might think, Luke, is there such a thing? Absolutely, I'll give you an example. Uh, we'll at this, uh, you can call it a restaurant, but it was actually a shed down a dirt road that you know, probably wouldn't have passed many health regulations here in Australia. But we're sitting in this, in this restaurant, and I was sitting next to, uh, next to one of the other pastors, and we're having a chat. And all of a sudden, this dish came out. It's, it's called dal bat. Now, dal bat is the national dish of Nepal. It should be on the screen there in front of you. There we go. Not that one right there, that's dal bat. Now, it looks a bit Indian, but it's not. It's got its own flavour. And the idea with dal bat is there's rice in the middle. You usually have some bread. And you pour one of those dishes in at a time and mix it with the rice and eat it with your hand. Okay, so all, automatically, I'm not used to eating with my hand. I'm used to eating with a fork or a spoon. But, you know, so I'm trying to get this. This is the first time I'm doing this. The hard part was that there was this waitress that was sort of lingering around our table with this massive tray. She had big biceps, by the way. She was just sitting there with this, uh, this tray, just waiting for, to refill. And as you finished a bowl, she would refill it straight away. So the key was you had to try and finish this dish when she wasn't standing there, because it's actually rude to say, no, thank you. So I love hot food. I love spicy food. I love it so hot to the point that you have to check if your mouth is bleeding. That's how hot I love my food. Usually it wouldn't have been a problem. However, about two days before this, I acquired um, Kathmandu cough. Now, Kathmandu cough is uh, a condition that a lot of tourists get uh, as a result of the smog in Kathmandu. I read somewhere that the smog in Kathmandu is like 27 times the maximum recommendation from the World Health Organization. So it's like, I mean, I had tonsillitis six times in a year. It felt like that. So I'm trying to eat this hot food. It was killing my throat. There's this woman standing there with biceps writing to her, give me more food. I'm like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? Quick, 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 quick. And it was all a challenge for us. Suddenly she walked away. Yes, 20 seconds, let's go. What do I do? What do I do? Quick, quick. I had to think. I said, God, give me strength. And what happened was um, I saw this drink. It's called lassi, which is like an Indian Nepali drink. Uh, it's milk. And as a general rule, you don't usually drink milk in Nepal. But, you know, I was desperate. So I shoved it down, and it coated my throat enough to shove down all this dal bat in 16 seconds. I was getting indigestion. I was like, oh, she walked back over? More? I said, oh, no, no, no. I'm like, yes. Then suddenly I turned to, uh, to Mark Purse and I said, oh, Mark, how good was that? He's like, just wait. I said, what do you mean? Turned around, there she is putting more in my dish. <laughs> it was a struggle. It was a struggle. Another example of the, the, of the Nepali serving culture um, is I was standing out in the middle of the sun waiting for our, our driver to come. It was about 35 degrees, humidity was like a million percent. And we're just sitting there, and I accidentally dropped my bottle of water. I just bought it for like the equivalent of like seven cents. This little boy, who I think clearly had nothing, ran over with his bottle of water and, and gave it to me. To me, it's like seven cents, that's nothing. 
But I was like, no, mate, it's, it's fine. So I went to buy another bottle. But the fact is, he wanted to serve. And this is part of their culture. This is part of their national identity. As a Nepali people, it's important that they are generous, not just with what they have, but the time they give as well. And in the same way, as believers, as Christians, as the body of Christ, it's part of our God-given identity to have a similar attitude because we are called to serve selflessly and sacrificially. That is our calling. If I was to stand here this morning and ask you, on a scale from 1 to 10, 1 being don't care, 10 being, yep, gung-ho, I want to sign up for every table out there, what's your attitude towards serving? Where is it on that scale? As a church, our mission is to share Jesus, to care for people and encourage Christian growth. This is why we as a church family exist. It's more. It's more than coming here on a Sunday morning and getting the church stuff out of the way and, God, see you next week. Are we living this mission out together? And you know what? Every person in this church right now, in this auditorium or sanctuary, whatever you want to call it, every person has a part to play in this mission. See, many of us are serving here already at KSBC, which is amazing. I think we have a great serving culture. But I love the fact that there's always more we can do. I used to ask the question when I was a teenager, I used to sit in the back as with all the cool kids. A lot's changed since then. And I used to think, why should I serve? What's the point? Who cares? I've got better things to do. The fact is that serving in a voluntary capacity, is becoming so almost extinct. That's because we are becoming a me society. If it doesn't benefit me, why should I do it? What do, what do I get out of it? Is that really worth my time? This is the exact opposite of what Jesus taught and what he did. It goes against the very fabric of how we are designed. So maybe here asking that question, why should I serve? I'm happy doing what I am right now. I'm happy. What's the point? Well, I'd love to cover four areas that I believe God showed me this week amongst everything else that went on. I believe God showed me four things. So let's go through them together. The first reason is that we serve because we are gifted to do so. Now, I played footy quite seriously when I was in my teens. I was 18 years old and... I was pretty gun-ho, and I thought I was pretty good. Okay, I thought I was pretty good. Uh, yeah, what's changed? I thought I was unstoppable. I thought I could play anywhere on the field. You know, this is, this is a time when Collingwood were actually good, okay? So I was pretty, uh, pretty happy. And I, I walked to my coach and said, Coach, you know what? I'm ready to play wherever you want me to. I'm unstoppable. Yeah, I know, pretty arrogant. That's what I said. And he looked at me with a look of odious disgust and said, okay, I'll put you in the ruck. <laughs> if you know anything about the ruck, the ruck is usually reserved for the tallest player on the ground, and I'm clearly not the tallest player uh, in this church. Uh, so I said, oh, okay, no worries. I'll just you know, rely on my body work, or you know, I'll jump. And I got flogged, absolutely smashed. And he looked at me and said, just know what your gifting is. Just know what you're designed to do. And the reality is that we are designed 
for specific tasks. We are made to be naturally good at things and not so good at other things. And you know what? It's okay. It's okay. The biblical term for this is gifting. And God has given us skills and abilities that naturally come to us. Every person in this church, every single one, has been given at least one spiritual gift to use for service in the body of Christ. At least one. Everyone. And Paul talks about this in the New Testament several times, but I love his take in Romans 12, 6 to 8. So have your Bibles and reading for the, from the English Standard Version. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance to your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Now, I'm not going to do this because I haven't told them, but if I ask my youth leaders to come up on stage, don't worry, I'm like, okay, you can do it. And I ask you, what are my blind spots as a, as a leader? You can probably tell me a few. That's okay. Because where I'm not good at, my leadership team is brilliant at filling those gaps. By ourselves, we aren't that good, but together, we're incredible. I know people, I'm not going to name names, but I know people who love accounting. <laughs> to me, I think that's the most boring thing ever. But if you like to talk about balance sheets and profit loss statements, cool, go for it. That's not my gifting. I failed accounting in year 12 because like, my balance sheet wouldn't balance. And, and in, my, in my exam, I had whiteout all over the place. It was a big no-no, apparently. So that's not my gifting. You know, that's okay, because other people are great at that naturally. Some things can be developed. Some things can be developed over time. But some things you are naturally good at. I'm constantly amazed, especially my teams that I lead and serve with, just amazed how easily some people do things. I'm like, wow, how do you do that so easily? I, I struggle with that. But it's nothing to them. And that's the beauty of the church. We were never meant to do it alone. We're meant to do it together as one body. We were never meant to sit back and let others do it. But God is asking you to use your gifting. Now, I always say this, but as a youth pastor, I've got an uh, illustration for you. You've probably seen this before. One stick by yourself, easily broken. I'm glad I broke that. Uh, easily broken. But together, I don't know how many sticks there are. I'm not going to bother. I'm not weak. They're actually really hard to break. But you just can't do it. And this is why so many teams suffer. So many teams do tend to fail because... 10% of the people are doing 90% of the work. And eventually, they break. I've suffered burnout before in ministry. That's because not everyone was, was pulling their weight. And I felt I'd do it all myself. But you know what? We are a church that is eclectic. We are a church that is powerful together. Let's really grasp that. See, regardless of age, whether you're 13, or whether you're 103 or 102, whatever old, old that lady was in the video, the fact is we all have the same calling, and that is to do it together. Secondly, we serve because we love his church. 
When I mention God's church, what comes into your mind? KSBC? Big cathedrals? His church is a, is a collective of believers, regardless of location. The church is God's colony on earth. We are God's representatives. Sure, we have a station, which is here, but the church isn't where we gather. The church is where we scatter. How are we doing that? We love his church because we love the Great Commission to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. Now, I used to read the Great Commission. I said, okay, proclaim the gospel. I just go out there and tell people about Jesus. But the word proclaim is from the Greek word. It's such a dense verb, which means to tell, to show, and to journey with people. Because we're living in a world where your words aren't good enough anymore. Talk is cheap. They want to see how the church lives that out. It's not just standing on a soapbox, yelling for people to repent. I mean, that's part of it. We want people to turn from their sin, absolutely. But it's how we do it. Proclaiming is showing and modelling. When I was sitting in the back row, as I said before, I felt God was prompting me. I was designed to fill a gap in the church that I was a part of. And as part of the pastoral staff here, I think we're, we're a great church with an amazing set of abilities and ministries, but there are gaps, like any church. Maybe you're that person to step into that gap. Is God prompting you? It shouldn't be out of legalism or guilt. It should be because you love his church and you want to see other people come to know him, which is the third point. We serve because we love people. Do you love people? And I mean all people, regardless of who they are, what they believe, where they've come from, what they say to you, what they have done to you. If you answered yes, I would love to invite myself into the front seat of your car in Melbourne and peak hour traffic. Let's see how much you love people. I'm, I'm just as bad as anyone. My wife will tell you. But love is more than tolerance. Love is more, I have to love that person, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try. Love is actually saying, you know what, I see the best in that person. It's, an, it's a godly, undiluted cherish for someone else. And this is the key right here. When we express godly love, we are showing people what God is like. When we express godly love, we're showing people what God is like. When we love in the godly sense, we become heartbroken for their fallen state, just as we once were. We look past the exterior, we look past who they are, but you look at who they are made to be. And you might think, Luke, I'm not good at preaching. I can't go into the street with the Bible and the gospel, that's just not me. I'm not good at youth leading, I can't talk to kids, I can't talk to youth. You know, I can't do this, I can't do that, but the fact is, what are you good at? What are you good at? I'm sure you guys are great at something that you can really contribute to his church. But how do we serve unconditionally? How do we love people unconditionally? For me, the part of the movie Passion of the Christ, which comes from the Gospel of Luke, where Jesus is getting nailed to the cross, if that was me, 
I would be cursing those people, saying, "What are you? Yeah, how dare you? you know, I'm, I'm Jesus. I'm the Son of God." He was praying for them. He looked past what they were doing to him. He looked past the anger and the and the humor that they were taking out of this. He said, "Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing." He was still concerned about these people's salvation, even at that point in time, saying, Father, forgive them. That's love. That is love that I find it really hard to match up to. We love people because God loves them. And fourthly, we serve because he served us. I learned a new word this week, obsequious. Who knows what obsequious means? Hey, well, I'll tell you. Jesus was obsequious in his serving, which means he went the extra mile. He wanted to serve like this, this bicep woman in Nepal. She was obsequious, obsequious. Everything that Jesus did, he was humble in doing so. He always went the extra mile. He didn't have to. He didn't have to at all. Kings of the day would be served. They would get it all on a silver platter, but Jesus was down there serving amongst the people. And even Jesus said, he clarified this to the disciples in Matthew 20, 28. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Think about that. The God who gave you breath, the God whose omnipotence surpasses all understanding, chose, he chose to serve you. He didn't have to, he chose See, there are many examples in the Gospels, and probably some that aren't even recorded in the Gospels, of Jesus serving people in a real humble way. But I love this one. It's in John 13, 5 to 16. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? So Peter was pretty surprised. Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Peter's probably pushing it here. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you, for he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said not everyone was clean, talking about Judas. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for what that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I say to you, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. So Jesus was setting an example here of what it means to serve and to wash someone's feet that was usually reserved for the lowest of the servants in their household. For Jesus, the Son of Man, the King, the Messiah, to get down and humble himself towards people who would expect them to serve, he's serving them. And he said, I am doing this as an example. I've I've gone to a few churches where they actually have foot washing ceremonies, which is, you know, fine. But the point of this is that it's more about serving in a humble way. 
How can we wash someone's feet in our community? What would be a low task to do for someone else? See, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's certainly good enough for me. And we serve, this is really key now, we serve because God is inviting us to be part of his story, his story of redemption. See, it's more than just setting up tables, which is important. It's more than doing behind-the-scenes stuff, which is what our guys do brilliantly. It's more than welcoming at the door. It's more than just coming to youth or kids' ministry and just setting up and hanging out. It's about being part of God's story because he is inviting you to be part of his story of redemption. Does he need you to serve? Well, no, he doesn't need you to serve, but he's inviting you to serve. He's inviting you. So is God prompting you here this morning? I want to encourage you, if that is, if that is you here this morning, we have some tables set up out in the foyer there. And you know, I would invite you to prayerfully put your name down for something that you think, you know what, maybe I could do that. Now, you're not signing your life away. All you're doing is saying, you know what, I want to know more about this ministry and have it open to the conversation about, could this be a place where I could serve? <clears throat> My daughter, Emily, um, this is her favourite toy at the moment, was one of them. As a stethoscope, because my wife was a nurse before we had kids. And she loves it. It's a bit dangerous with having toddlers around with this, but she loves it. So what, uh, what she does is, I'll put mine on the stethoscope, I can't talk because I'm wearing this, and I listen to her heartbeat. And she goes, Daddy, can you hear it? I said, yeah, I can hear it, yeah. And she goes, my turn? I'm like, yeah, okay, I'll get how this is going. So I put it on, and then she put it on my heart. And she said, I said, Emily, can you hear it? She's like, yeah. Then she asked me a really good question. She said, why is your heart beating? I could give her a medical, uh, which would probably be really wrong, medical reason, but I said, why is my heart beating? Why is God still choosing to give me breath? Why is God still choosing to keep me on this earth? And the reality is, if you have a heartbeat, which is everyone here. You have a purpose. As I said, regardless of whether you're 13 or whether you're 100, we all have a purpose. At Night Church last week, I shared a, a, a story. So if you've heard it before, hear it again. Uh, so I've got my L's for the first time. Well, sorry, the third time. I failed the first two times. Third time I got my L's, and I was driving home. And my mum was in the front seat. She was really freaked out. And so I was driving home, and all of a sudden, the first bit of traffic, which up near Castlemaine is not much, but I was driving up, and uh, this big truck was coming in the, in the distance. I thought, oh, man, I'm going to crash. So I was just driving along, and all of a sudden, it was coming closer. I started to freak out. I was looking at the side of the road, looking at the truck, looking at my mum, who's, like, passed out. And, you know, I was, I was freaking, and all of a sudden, I said, mum, what do I do? I'm going to crash. I was all over the road. You know that bumping sound you hear? Yeah, that was pretty bad. Uh, so I was just driving along, and my mum said, Luke, focus on the horizon. Focus on what's ahead. Focus on that, and you'll be stabilised. So I did that, and what do you know? The truck passed, and I'm here to tell the story today. But what a great example to focus on what truly matters. 
Focus on what's further ahead. We can focus on what's coming, and that can rock our whole world. That becomes a hindrance in the end. What matters is seeing people come to know Jesus. That's why we serve. As David said before, my sister passed away on Wednesday. Um, yeah, look, life, you, you heard it before, life is fragile, life is short, all that. But um, going through her house last week to help clean it up, it was really hard. It broke my heart. Not because she had gone, it was terrible, but the fact is it was very evident that in the end she wasn't living for God. I'm not going to tell you what I found because <laughs> that's maybe later. But she wasn't focusing on what mattered. She was probably going to church. Well, she was going to a church for a little while. But the evidence was there that you know, she wasn't focusing on what truly mattered. And the question I have to ask myself, and I'm currently you know, working with my family through this, is saying, God, how are you working through this? How are you going to be glorified through this situation? When you're going through it, it's really hard. Really hard. She was 36. But... You know, I know for a fact that God works in the bad stuff. He really does. I can't see it yet, but I know I will. He works through our stories. And we can have a major role to play in that. We all have stories, good and bad. Everything we go through can be used for God's glory. You see, serving is more than just filling a gap. It's about letting God use your gifting, your experiences, and your story to influence others. This is something I'm trying to remember this week, that God can transform your test into a testimony and your mess into a message. I'm going through both of those right now. My whole family is. They're all up in Castle Mountain at the moment with a family. I'll be heading back there soon. But I want you to take this away. Never underestimate the influence and power that you and your story can have through other people. That's why we serve. All that matters is Jesus. He's all that matters. And seeing others come to know him. That's why we serve. So over to you. How will you serve at KSBC? How will you serve the community? How can your story, this is the question, how can your story and stories influence others in ministry? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you are a God who restores. We thank you, Lord, that you're a God who is genuinely interested and invested in each person in here. Lord, we thank you that you give us gifting, Lord. You give us empowerment and you equip us with the tools that we need to see your kingdom come. Lord, we pray right now that if we, maybe we aren't serving anywhere in the church, Lord, Lord, I pray that you prompt us here this morning to 
start to think about that and perhaps put our name down for an area that you might see us uh, contributing towards so that people can come to know you. Lord, we thank you that amongst the hurt, in those really dark, low valleys, Lord, that you are there. And you are there on a mountaintop when things are going well as well. But Father, we thank you that you are constant and your promises are consistent regardless of what we're going through. So Lord, we thank you for the work that KSBC does in the community and also on a kingdom level, Lord. And if we have any contribution to give, Lord, we pray that you put it on our hearts here this morning. In your name, amen. Amen. Well, we are going to finish with a song because we want to give you a bit of time to uh, head out to the foyer and just check out the tables and just see, you know what, maybe God's leading you to a certain area. I think every table will be manned or womaned. Uh, So make sure you uh, have a look there, but otherwise, guys, have an amazing week. So thank you.